0: I hope that you will join me in an open Bible as we look together at 2 Samuel, chapter 14. And our focus today will be on verses 1 to 22. One of the great ironies of our current cultural moment, and this moment of history, is that we have at our fingertips probably more information and more sources of information than any generation before us. And yet, along with that good thing, it's good to have facts, it's good to have information, we also have maybe more misinformation than we have ever had before. And so what this moment calls for from you and from me is wisdom and discernment. To be able to sift through what is true and what is false. And we worship a God who has revealed himself to be true and trustworthy and who is a God of wisdom. We need that. You need that. I need that. And what we're going to see in 2 Samuel 14 is how sometimes even Good ideas need to be balanced with good discernment, with truth, or else good ideas can result in bad plans. That's what we're going to see in this chapter. And what we need to see above everything else, though, is that God is generous in supplying his wisdom to those who are willing to surrender their wants to His sovereign will. God is generous, so abundantly generous in supplying His wisdom, not human wisdom, not the things of this world or of the flesh, His wisdom to those who are willing to surrender their wants to His sovereign will. To those who are willing to say, God, You know best. I know what I want. I know what I would like to hear. I know what I would prefer. But God, I'm going to trust that you see more than I see. You know more than I know. And you know what is best. And so I'm going to surrender to that. That's what we need. And God is generous to supply his wisdom. But we're going to learn by negative example here. Because so often that's not the approach we take. So often we think that we can plan And we can use human ingenuity and rely on human schemes and ploys to arrive at a good outcome. And that simply is not the case, as we're going to see here in this chapter. So here's where we are in 2 Samuel King David, one of the greatest leaders in all of human history, was a king who had several wives. And because he had several wives, he had many sons and daughters. And his one son, who was next in line to the throne, his heir, was named Amnon. And while Amnon had the inheritance, he didn't have the character that was required to be God's king. And so he wickedly plotted, along with his cousin, Jonadab, to be alone with his half-sister, the full sister of his half-brother, Absalom. And he committed an egregious act of sexual violence against her. Well, Absalom decides to seek revenge against Amnon, and so he waits for just the right moment when he can get Amnon alone, and then he has him assassinated, an act of murder. And so the error is compounded. But now Absalom is next in line to the throne, But he has fled to a place called Geshur, to be with his maternal grandfather. And King David's response is neither to seek justice against Absalom for the murder he's committed, nor to show mercy to him. He does neither. He does nothing. He just chose the silent treatment. And this is no good. This is no good. And All kinds of people around David realized this, especially his general, Joab. And so we pick up our reading at verse 1. Joab, son of Zeruiah, knew that the king's heart longed for Absalom. So Joab sent someone to Tekoa and had a wise woman brought from there. He said to her, Pretend you are in mourning. Dress in mourning clothes, and don't use any cosmetic lotions. Act like a woman who has spent many days grieving for the dead. Then go to the king and speak these words to him. And Joab put the words in her mouth. Pausing there. Joab, David's general, has demonstrated unswerving loyalty to David and to David's household. And he's even shown that he will be ruthless, if it takes ruthlessness, to keep David on the throne. And we saw that when he, in fact, committed murder against Abner, the general of the former king Saul. So, Joab himself is a murderer. And while David condemns him, He allows Joab to continue as his general. So Joab can sympathize with Absalom. He knows where Absalom's coming from. He knows the power of wanting to seek revenge. And so he looks at the current situation and says this is no good for David or his household or this dynasty because David needs to be reconciled with the heir to the throne, Absalom. And so he concocts A scheme. He sends for this wise woman from Tekoa, which is about nine or ten miles from Jerusalem, not too far away. And he tells her to pretend that you are in mourning. Pretend like you've been sad for a long time. And he gives her the words that she needs to say. So what's Joab up to? Well, he has a good idea. It's true that the current state of affairs is not a good one. This is not sustainable. There needs to be some movement, either to exact justice against Absalom or to show mercy to Absalom. But this current situation will not be good for Israel in the long run. Joab knows that. That's a good idea. But his plan is bad. And what he ends up giving to David is bad advice. And what's wrong with it? It's missing the most important ingredient in any planning seeking God's will, seeking God's will, seeking God's infinite wisdom in our plans. There's none of that. There's none of that. There is simply human scheming. And we can see all kinds of red flags in what he plans to do. We're told that this woman is a wise woman. That sounds innocuous enough, but when you look at the word that's used— It comes from the same root that was used of Jonadab, the cousin and friend of Amnon. In chapter 13, verse 3, where it's translated, Jonadab was a very shrewd man, meaning crafty or wily. And so we're already clued in that this woman isn't exactly going to use her wisdom in a way that benefits David. So we have that clue. We're also told that she is to pretend. She's to act. She's to be dramatic. She's to put on a fictitious display in order to manipulate David, to get David to do something. And so what we need to see here, as revealed by the Holy Spirit, is, is that We should not surrender to manipulation. Don't surrender to manipulation. Instead, we should surrender to God's revealed truth. And what we see in in this chapter is is human scheming. And we need to remember, God will never act this way. God will never try to manipulate you. That's not how he works in his people, or in the world. He will not try to manipulate you. But that's exactly what Joab tries to do to David. And it works. Now, Joab probably thinks that this is a good plan because of what happened in chapter 12. When David has committed adultery, he's committed murder, and so we're told the Lord sent Nathan, the Lord's prophet, to David. And he comes to David and tells a parable, a parable that is intended to lead David to see himself in the parable, to see how he's done the very same things that happened in the parable, so that he himself is convicted. So Joab probably thinks, oh, that's the way to get David's attention. That's what I need to do. And yet what he ends up doing is really just a parody, really, of what God did through Nathan. God sent Nathan, his prophet, to bring David to see the truth. Joab sends this crafty, wily woman to David in order to manipulate him, to get him to change his ways, not to lead him to the truth. There's no seeking God. There's no seeking God's wisdom or God's will in this. It's a simple act of manipulation. There's no concern for God. And so what you need to know in your life is that if you need wisdom if you need discernment, if you're facing a fork in the road and you don't know where to turn, you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, the first thing you need to do before you make any other decision is remember what we read in James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. If you need wisdom, go to the source. Don't rely on your own ingenuity. Don't rely on another voice, no matter how loud it is. Go to the source, ask God for wisdom, and when you go, trust him, believe, be willing to surrender to his revealed truth. God's not going to try to manipulate you. Trust him to reveal the truth, to be forthright with you. To say, come, let's reason together. That's how God works. He persuades, he touches your heart and tries to affect your heart, to woo you, to bring you, to draw you in to his loving heart, to his compassion, and his grace and his mercy for sinners. Well, let's see how the scheme works out. Verse 4, when the woman from Tekoa went to the king, she fell with her face to the ground to pay him honor, and she said, "'Help me, your majesty,' The king asked her, what is troubling you? She said, I am a widow. My husband is dead. I, your servant, had two sons. They got into a fight with each other in the field, and no one was there to separate them. One struck the other and killed him. Now the whole clan has risen up against your servant. They say, hand over the one who struck his brother down, so that we may put him to death the life of his brother whom he killed, then we will get rid of the heir as well. They would put out the only burning coal I have left, leaving my husband neither name nor descendant on the face of the earth. The king said to the woman, "Go home, and I will issue an order in your behalf." But the woman from Tokoa said to him, "Let my lord the king pardon me and my family, and let the king and his throne be without guilt." The king replied, "'If anyone says anything to you, bring them to me, and they will not bother you again.' She said, "'Then let the king invoke the Lord his God to prevent the avenger of blood from adding to the destruction, so that my son will not be destroyed. As surely as the Lord lives,' he said, "'Not one hair of your son's head will fall to the ground.'" So the woman comes to David, and she shares her story, a fictitious story. She says, I'm a widow. My husband's dead. All I have is two sons. They got in a fight in the field. And we should hear echoes here of the first murder recorded in the Bible, those two brothers, Cain and Abel, when Cain murdered Abel in the field. And she says that in this act of passion, one got angry with the other, struck him, and killed him. And now the rest of the family, the rest of the clan, wants to exact revenge on the surviving brother. But she says, if they kill him, then I will have no heir, and they will seek my inheritance. That's really all they want. And then they will have taken the only burning coal I have left, the only source of warmth and life I have left, leaving my husband no name. And David's initial response is to say, okay, go home, I'll issue an order. Very ambiguous. He doesn't decide on her case one way or the other. But then she says, let my lord the king pardon me and my family, and let the king be without guilt. What she's saying is, if there's any distortion in what I'm saying to you, if there's any falsehood in what I'm saying, let the guilt be on me. Which is pretty rich when you consider the fact that this is all fictitious. This is all pretend, and make-believe. So the king then says, okay, well, if anyone says anything to you, bring them to me, and they won't bother you again. Then she asks the king to invoke God, make an oath, so that the avenger of blood won't seek revenge. And so she eventually presses David to the point of saying, as the Lord lives, no harm will come to your son. There's so much about what she says that strikes us as true and reasonable, right? We know it's fictitious, but this makes sense, right? And we can kind of see where this is going, where she's trying to accuse David of a double standard. She's saying that what happened to her fictitious sons is just like what happened to David's sons, to Absalom and Amnon. Absalom was angry and killed Amnon. And shouldn't David show the same mercy? To Absalom, that he's showing to this fictitious son in her story, it seems reasonable. And yet, upon closer inspection, we can see that she's totally distorting the facts. And so if we are to have wisdom and discernment, in these days where we are surrounded by information and there is just a bottomless pit of sources of information. We're trying to sift through what is true, what is false, what should we believe, what should we act on, what is wise, what is not. Don't surrender to distorted facts. Don't surrender to distorted facts. How can we tell that what she's saying is distorted? What she describes is an act of passion, a crime of passion, One brother was angry. He wasn't setting out to murder his brother, but he did. And God's law made provision for this very kind of scenario. When you go to Exodus chapter 21, verse 12, we read, Anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. However, if it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place I will designate. But if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. And this place that God arranges and designs for those who are guilty of manslaughter, of of an accidental death or a crime of passion, these places are called cities of refuge. And someone who's committed this can go there and be safe from anyone who would exact revenge upon them. And so. That provision is in God's law. But what happened with Absalom and Amnon doesn't apply. Absalom had Amnon killed in a very deliberate and premeditated way. He waited years, years before he exacted this revenge. So her story doesn't apply. And yet you see how she uses those distorted facts to press David and to manipulate David, to get David to say, well, you know, you're right. You're right. I really should just show mercy. It makes sense here to show mercy to the one who's in this predicament. And we can also see how she's distorting the facts because we're not told that anyone is really trying to kill Absalom. On the contrary, we're told that Absalom is incredibly popular. So popular, in fact, that He's going to take advantage of that and undermine David's entire kingdom and household. Even David doesn't seem to really want to give Absalom what he deserves, which is death. No one's really seeking Absalom. So she's she's twisting. She's distorting. And she's even invoking God. She says, swear by God, Let the king invoke the Lord his God to prevent the avenger of blood from adding to the destruction. And so what you need to know is just because someone uses God talk, just because someone uses churchy vocabulary, just because someone stands behind a pulpit and opens a Bible, that doesn't mean that they're not distorting the truth. And I want to make sure you know, I don't want you to... Hear and listen to what I say just because I have a title in front of my name or just because I'm standing behind a pulpit. I don't have any authority. God has the authority and God exercises his authority over his church through his word. And so I only want you to heed and, and hear what I say to the extent that what I say conforms to what God has revealed. His word is true. Dane Hadley may or may not be, but measure what I say against what God says. That's how we exercise discernment. That's how God wants his people to discern the truth. Because while people will distort facts, while people will twist things to their advantage or to your advantage, God will never lie to you. God will never lie to you. Be assured of that. As we read in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And as the Apostle Paul says in in Romans 3, 4, let God be true and every person a liar. God is true. People may fail you. People may lie to you. They will lie to you. God never will. So don't surrender to distorted facts. Be vigilant. Guard your heart against this kind of manipulation. It's all around us. It is all around us. We cannot afford to be naive. Surrender your wants to God's sovereign will. And God is generous to supply all the wisdom and the discernment that you need. But the woman's not done yet. She's not quite reached the goal of her deception. Verse 12. Then the woman said, Let your servant speak a word to my lord the king. Speak, he replied. The woman said, Why then have you devised a thing like this against the people of God? When the king says this, does he not convict himself? For the king has not brought back his banished son. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. And now I have come to say this to my lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. Your servant thought, I will speak to the king. Perhaps he will grant his servant's request. Perhaps the king will agree to deliver his servant from the hand of the man who is trying to cut off both me and my son from God's inheritance. And now your servant says, May the word of my lord the king secure my inheritance. For my lord the king is like an angel of God in discerning good and evil. May the lord Your God be with you. Now she brings it home. Now she gets to the point of what this has all been about, what the whole act is driving at. Why then have you devised a thing like this against the people of God? If you're willing to show mercy to my son, why then are you not showing mercy to your son Absalom? When, in fact, David didn't banish Absalom. Absalom fled. Absalom ran away. But she's saying that you are using a double standard. Why won't you relent? And notice what else is driving this. She says that you've devised a thing like this against the people of God. Against the people of God. And then she talks about the people again in verse 15, because the people have made me afraid. She's drawing on popular opinion. So what you need to remember is don't surrender to the pressure of popular opinion. Don't surrender to the pressure of what the majority of people think or say. God's truth is not to be measured by what the polls say or what the majority says. God's truth is measured by what he has said, what he has revealed, his word, his true and trustworthy word. But you see how she's trying to squeeze David and say, David, think think of the people. Think of your kingdom, the people that God has entrusted to you. Is this right to be at odds with the heir to the throne? Think of what might happen. Of course, we've got Joab standing in the background wondering, is there going to be a civil war in Israel between David and and Absalom? Because David won't be reconciled to his son? Think of the people. Think of what the people want. And we're told later that all the people love Absalom, that he's handsome, that he, he is easy on the eyes. They like him. And so the people are pressuring David when in fact... What David should be doing is exercising his office of king and exacting judgment against his son for what he deserves. Absalom has abdicated any right he may have had to the throne of Israel. He's not worthy. He's proven that. David should also exercise his responsibility as a father to discipline his son for what he has done. But David doesn't do those things. He is pressured into bowing to popular opinion. And so in your life, as you're trying to sift through what is true and what is not, remember that we don't put God's truth up to a vote. We don't look to the polls to tell us what God thinks. We look to his revealed word. No matter what the majority says, no matter what we may want to hear, we don't subject God's truth to a vote. God's truth is truth. His truth is the standard of all truth. And sometimes, sometimes, remember, you may be lonely. You may feel like you're really out on a limb when you stand up for God's truth. But take courage. Take courage. You're not really alone. You stand alongside a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us, who have risked life and limb for the sake of God's truth and for the good news of the gospel. But David is not entirely ignorant of what's going on here. Something reminds him, this sounds a lot like something Joab would say. So we continue reading in verse 18, then the king said to the woman, don't, Keep from me the answer to what I am going to ask you. Let my lord the king speak, the woman said. The king asked, isn't the hand of Joab with you in all this? The woman answered, as surely as you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right or to the left from anything my lord the king says. Yes, It was your servant Joab who instructed me to do this, and who put all these words into the mouth of your servant. Your servant Joab did this to change the present situation. My Lord has wisdom like that of an angel of God. He knows everything that happens in the land. The king said to Joab, very well, I will do it. Go, bring back the young man Absalom. Joab fell with his face to the ground to pay him honor, and he blessed the king Joab said, today your servant knows that he has found favor in your eyes, my lord the king, because the king has granted his servant's request. Notice how this woman continues to invoke God talk, to use God's name. Just prior to this, she tries to move David by describing thy the the finality of death. Like water spilled on the ground which cannot be recovered, so we must die. Well, that's true. That's true. But that is not what God desires. And literally, God does not take a life. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. And so there's this semblance of truth to what she's saying. And she describes David as like an angel of God. He knows whatever happens in the land. He knows how to discern right from wrong. The Lord is with him when all along she's again distorting the truth in order to manipulate him. Because, on closer inspection, while it's true that we all must die, it's not true that we just have to say, Well, all right, Absalom, no problem, no big deal what you did. Come on back. We'll let it go. Because, while God is a life-giving God, and while God wants to preserve life, it's also true that he's sovereign over life and death. This is something Hannah knew. As we read in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. And so it's good to pursue life. It's good to try to preserve life, but not at the expense of justice and doing what God says we should do and not at the expense of abdicating your responsibility as king. That's what David is doing here. But we also need to see in in using this God talk, she's flattering David. And what you need to know is that you need to be on guard against anyone who tries to flatter you. Don't surrender to flattery. Be on high alert for anyone who simply tells you what you want to hear. She says, you're like an angel of God, David, which is pretty rich when you consider the fact that her whole approach and Joab's approach is to show how David is wrong. (laughs) That's that's what they're all about, is, is correcting David's error. Oh, but you're like an angel. You know right and wrong. You know everything that happens in the land. Now, let me try to manipulate you to show you how you're wrong. That's, in effect, what she's doing. And she's flattering David, and he's a sucker for it. He completely gives in. Sure, sure. You know what? Bring him back. Bring him back. You know what? You're right. Bring Absalom back. Joab, you're right. And and Joab is pleased. He feels like he's accomplished his goal. Watch out for anyone who, who simply tells you what you want to hear, because the reality is we have so much information and misinformation out there that you can find confirmation of just about anything you want to believe. Just about anything you want to believe. You can find it out there. Someone is going to supply that. The demand is there. The demand for falsehood is there, and so someone is going to supply that. So be on high alert. We as followers of the true and trustworthy God, the one revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot afford to be suckers for that kind of falsehood, for those kinds of lies. Be wary of anyone who simply tells you what you want to hear. God will not flatter you. Be assured of that. God will always tell you the truth, whether you want to hear it or not. God does not engage in flattery, and neither should his people, and his people should be on high alert for anyone who uses flattery to manipulate or to get their way. We can't fall for that. So it seems like Joab got his way. He had a good idea. The king and his son need to be reconciled. But as we're going to see, it was a very bad plan. Not only because it engaged in falsehood and manipulation, but also because it actually makes matters worse. And things are really going to get out of control. And and this is not real reconciliation. And Israel, in fact, will fall into civil war. Human scheming. Does not bring about God's sovereign will and God's sovereign plans. But be encouraged by this there is no human scheming that can derail or thwart God's sovereign plans from being fulfilled. As we read in 1 Corinthians, Chapter 1, verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. And Paul says, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God has not only a good idea, God wants reconciliation, he wants redemption, he wants restoration. He can carry it out, and he's done the impossible by sending his very own son to be wisdom for us, to be righteousness for us, to absorb the judgment and the discipline that we deserve as sinners against a holy God. And because he has done that, we can be reconciled to God, a holy and righteous God. And because he's done that, we can be reconciled to our neighbors. We can live in peace. He has made peace by the blood of his cross. That is God's plan. Are you willing to say God knows best. That is wisdom. It may look like foolishness to me at first. It may look like foolishness to the world, but that is true wisdom. And it's to that God that I want to draw discernment and wisdom. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done today, I want you to know that there is a God Who has made it possible for a sinner like you, a sinner like me, to be in holy fellowship with him, to know him as friend, to know him as Lord, to know him as Savior. And that same God can supply all the discernment and all the wisdom that you need to face these trying days. No matter how hard it gets, are you drawing strength from this God? You can if you will turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I pray that you would do that today and in the days ahead as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that that your word can unmask all of our pretensions and our deceptions and our efforts to manipulate and, and to utilize flattery we thank you for the clarity that your word brings to our lives, that you shine a light into the darkest recesses of our lives. You, you shine your light, the light of your truth, into the areas of our lives that we would rather ignore, that we'd rather keep in the darkness, all so that we can come into the light of your truth, so that we can see what you have done for us in your son, Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that in these days filled with falsehoods and lies and misinformation, that we would be equipped by the power of your Holy Spirit working in us to be people of truth, who love truth, who aren't afraid of the truth, and who know the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray all these things in his name. Amen. We are so glad that you could join us today in this worship service. If you have any questions, if you have any prayer concerns, be sure to reach out by email. Have a wonderful week.